Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast. It's been a long absence, um, not only from the sport of football, but just from this podcast as well. Unfortunately, Pet Barisha won't be able to be on this podcast. He is uh, still recovering. He isn't feeling well, um, unfortunately, so he should be back within a few episodes' time. But we have Matt Santangelo here, as always. Matt, what's going on? Uh, I'm doing pretty well, Martino. Obviously, this whole coronavirus situation, uh, as you mentioned, you know, football. But more important things is just the safety and the well-being of uh, everyone around the world. So uh, I, I think football could be uh, taking a back seat, get everyone back fresh. We can restart football eventually, hopefully soon, and um, we can just uh, you know begin to enjoy what we love. Of course, that is a beautiful game. But uh, I'm doing well overall. And we also have a very special guest, Martino. You want to introduce uh, the special guest who is rejoining us for his second appearance. Yeah, second appearance, so um, I think he would be tied for first all time then, right? Um, but anyways, so, yeah. anyways, we have Janusz Mikhailuk uh, in here, um, ESPN FC pundit. Uh, you can see him. I, I know you and I both see him because he's on Yes for uh, NYC FC at Catch yes. Those Games yes. as well. But uh, first of all, how are you, Janusz? How are you dealing with everything? I know it's just crazy times these days, uh, but how are you? Hello, boys. I'm doing fine. Uh, you know, we have some time for ourselves. I mean, you know, it's easy to say that we miss the game, which we do. It's a great gig for all of us involved in the sport, right, to work on something that we like. Uh, and it's still early, and I'm going to miss it a lot more probably, given another few days or a week or two. It's only been but, a week. It feels like it's been a lot longer, right? A week but, for the but, USA, yeah. But, you know, if I'm honest, and I bet you, because you know, some people will agree with me, it's um, what's refreshing is that I don't feel like I I'm chasing my own tail 24 seven mm-hmm. all the time. Right. You kind so, of slow down so, a little bit. There's like a lull here, you know, and, and, and you watch, I think we're going to miss it because you know, the, the reason I say that, and you know, there'll be those like, Oh, football, I love football. I love to watch, blah, 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 blah. you know, we all do, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I, 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 at least I feel that way. I know a lot of people that do as well mm-hmm. is that not only whatever we do for work, whatever we cover, you know, if it's a single league, like, you know, Serie A or whatever it may be. But, you know, for me, that kind of has to know a little bit about everything because of what I do. I always feel guilty during like, you know, during a yeah. you know, weekend comes around and, right. and you feel like you don't want to miss anything. You watch the Premier League in the morning because they have to have, the, you know, have the serious radio with the Premier League final show. And then it's the Bundesliga. You kind of want to know because I covered some of that in the past and do the Pokal. And then, oh, Serie A, of course, you know, which I cover. I have to, you know, I finished commentating a game and then, oh, my God, you know, that 245 game, which is usually a big one. I don't want to miss it. Well, guess what? La Liga plays at three as well. And so, yeah. so you, 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 even when you're done with work and I'm done, you know, with whatever game I had, I, I, you always feel guilty, don't you? Like if you're not watching some big game that's in the afternoon rather than maybe going outside with the family or, or just do nothing. You know what I mean? 100%. So, so there's a little bit of bonus in that. And, you know, maybe that's something that we needed. We certainly didn't need an event like this. Right, uh, right. Because a lot of people are suffering, you know, but mm-hmm. I think everybody understands what I mean by that. Like, maybe we need it oh, a little bit. definitely. Away, especially, especially for someone like you who, or well, all three of us that are really living over here in the States, because people in Europe don't really follow MLS as closely. So we're basically mm-hmm. getting 12 months of football throughout right. the whole entire year, right? And then... I, I think the kind of the nail in the coffin where kind of everybody th- knew that like football wasn't coming back anytime soon was when they canceled uh, the Euros and then uh, Copa America was canceled, right? Because right. I think everyone kind of held out a little bit of hope that, okay, if they didn't yeah. cancel those yet, we can get in these games for, for the rest of the league table and then we can move on to that. Maybe they push it back a few weeks, but those are being moved to 2021 and now the leagues are a little bit up in the air. Um, so, so where, where should we start, Matt? Because I know it, there, there's a few things. Where, where did you want to go in, in direction of, uh, first and, and we start in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It was set up for that. <laughs> you, you know, you know what it is too. I just, I just want to, you know, touch on what, what you said, Yanish, about like this sport of time. I mean, for us, you know, we're, um, even just so much, you're stepping, stepping away from just kind of the, the football aspect of it, right? Because we all work in football to varying levels. Um, I myself as like a content guy, writer, or so on and so forth, I always find myself being so occupied on the weekends where maybe I'm stuck inside. I'm doing a lot of things that are uh, football related where I kind of maybe miss 
uh, a dinner, you know, dinner, you know, with my family or my friends or so on and so forth. So in a strange way, it's one of those things where you, you, you don't, you have kind of feel lost without the sport. Yes. But in, at the same time, you kind of take a step back and you kind of get that little bit of like that reset. It feels like it's like a summer almost, but except mm-hmm. with the summer, you always have the transfer window and you really never quite get a break. So I think that's, this is kind of like that one period where you're getting a prolonged break to kind of mm. reassess everything, recharge the batteries. And then hopefully yeah, with yeah. the way the, um, the seasons are, you know, these leagues are structured because we have some great title races, um, which I know we'll get into specifically with Serie A, but it's, it's going to make for a fascinating next couple of months because there's going to be so much energy, motivation, uh, passion. A lot of players are well-rested, are coming back. So there's going to be a lot of a lot at stake and a lot of uh, uh, enthusiasm behind a, a lot of these efforts and a lot of these these um, returns to football. So uh, I think we the best thing for us is just to get started and dive into um, Serie A. I know me and Martino are big uh, Milan fans, Serie A guys, and I know obviously so, so Giannis, I, yeah. you, do, you do quite a bit with Serie A as well. We've had you on previously. I think it was one of our first episodes to talk about uh, Shishak Piontek, uh, uh-huh. which obviously his um, his career at Milan has come to an end. He's um, in the Bundesliga. So I guess the, the the simple question is we could kind of touch on, you know, the factors, all things that are going on in turmoil with regarding Milan. But my question to you is this, why do, why did, or why do you believe that Piontek struggled the way he did um, this part of the season? And secondly, why do you think generally speaking, Polish players historically struggle to adapt to Serie A? Well, I, I don't know if the Polish players struggled. I mean, there's about 15 or 16 of them, and, and more than half are doing fine, last time I checked, no? Well, well uh, so what, what, I, what I mean by that is that there's a lot of players, like, for instance, I know there's um, uh, 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 Zerkowski, who was, he was at Fiorentina. I know he had a lot of hype behind him going to Fiorentina. He's a young player. He's at Empoli. Young he didn't players, get a lot of time but I mean, you know, players. if you look at the Linettes of the world, the Bereshinsky, you know, he he has the virus Milik. actually, and, and then you know, but Milik is fine. It's just injuries. Jelinski's fine. Jensen's fine. Uh, I I don't think it's the, you know with Piontek. I think if you remember, kind of right that episode. Uh, I mean, I kind of foresaw a little bit of that, right? Right, you did because 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 you know, I mean, everything happened a little bit too quick, and unfortunately, right. in a way, is that. The, the sort of start that he had both at Genoa and Milan was unsustainable. Uh, and that, I think, may have been unsustainable for any player, even a bigger big names, right? He would have been almost better off kind of going slowly uh, instead of setting expectations that were unrealistic. So, mm-hmm. you know, like when you score goals, you want that momentum, and the and momentum is what carries you very often. If you look at Piontek and you look at what he brings to the game, I mean, he's a poacher, he's a finisher. He's a number nine. He's not necessarily a player that's incredible technically or, or his work rate is okay, but it's not special defensively sometimes, right? I mean, he's not a player that's going to, you know, come out of, you know, be two or three guys in tight spaces. So unless he's finishing, what else is he doing, right? It's, and I don't want to say that outright because he, he does have some other aspects to his game. But if you remember Milan, I mean, the wide games was kind of non-existent, really, with the exception of Suso, right? I mean, he mm-hmm. kind of could have, you know, in Genoa, it was just happened too quickly. I mean, here's a guy that even in Poland, people, you know, he, he had a good season in Krakowia, but it's not like everybody was saying, oh, my God, look mm-hmm. at this guy, right. you know, and he's heir apparent to Lewandowski. So it wasn't like a, like, a, like a Luka Jovic type of feeling around right. him when he was like, right. okay, this guy can be, right. Right. And Luca struggled as well. Look how long right. it took, yeah. right? Uh, mm-hmm. But so it didn't. T- that wasn't the case with Piontek. But I thought, you know, going from Genoa to a massive club like Milan, but totally different Milan. Had he walked in in the old Milan, right? I mean, yeah. I, I think he would yeah. have plenty good players around him to supply him and, and keep finishing. But he walked into a Milan that everybody struggles uh, at. Yeah. So uh, I wasn't surprised necessarily. I think we've talked about it. So I feel good about not being a hypocrite with that <laughs> because I, you know, when the end came, you know, that put together with the fact that the whole Milan team wasn't very good and wasn't playing well, you know, it, it kind of ended for him. So, so, you know, he had his time, I suppose he's made money. Uh, <laughs> look, yeah. He's moved from <laughs> Milan to Hertha and he's actually, I think double his salary actually, believe it or not. So at Hertha yeah. Berlin. So, so, Hey, you know, uh, not a big surprise. It's a, it, there's a bigger issue with, with Milan and Piontek when the goals dried out, um, 
pay the price for that because they, you know, they obviously they wanted to offload him. You know, if you lose faith in him, and, and you know, managers change as well, right? If you lose faith in them, um, then then you want to kind of get back as much as you can. Yeah, no, no and I, that's been that's been one yeah. of the constants with Milan too. It's you don't have a consistent starting number nine, and you don't have a consistent manager that you can rely upon. Those are probably the two consistent things in this down downfall. Of what it's ten years now pretty much that we're, we're on to this. And and unfortunately for him, I think the most important thing is um, to evaluate kind of guys like this and how his rise went so quickly was how does he respond when things don't go well? And we kind of got a glimpse of it and he kind of didn't recover to an extent, right? Because when a striker is in a scoring drought, you want to, you want to at least see him do other things, right? Can he help with the link up play? Does he help tracking back defensively to a certain extent? He wasn't necessarily doing that on top of his teammates not helping. And I think, you know, he was a confident guy, right? He was talking about how he scores goals all the time and, and how he expects to do well, which is a great thing. I think it's a good mentality to have. But unfortunately, at a club like that, it, I think there's just – you you were right. It's just too much too soon from Krakowia to – Genoa and to Milan all within a span of what it was seven months look, maybe it's, yeah it's look I mean I, I'm gonna I, I kind of I'm gonna close this quickly for a number of reasons a we're all Milan fans and we wanted to do well but <laughs> Milan don't Milan don't deserve to be talked about as much as we are talking about no because no, it's just you, you know, know. <laughs> the, pro, the, the problem for the, the, the problem for for Piontek outside of many is that look if he was on a small team at Genoa even or if he was on a, on a counter-attacking team he would have benefited because okay. if you play him into space if you give him crosses he can finish that he needs space in front of him he doesn't need uh you know the milan's build-up that kind of led to nowhere, no right i mean he's how many milan player, games no. yeah it leads to nowhere. there's a lot of passes nothing's happening he's he's deprived of space and and delivery as well so he's not going to benefit from that problems of course are bigger because for now number of years look what's happening with the culture of the club the organization of the club and they're sort of now infighting of who's running things, right? We were longing for, uh, you know, how many years were we saying, you know, Maldini needed to be back, you know, some of the great players, you know, now Boban, now Ivan Gazidis has come in and now there's going to be more changes as well. It's difficult to be successful in an environment where nobody knows who's in charge uh, for the most part or when, when things upstairs in the boardroom uh, and in terms of coaching change so much. So there's your problem right there for everybody, <laughs> for every player and for everybody else. Else. Until that settles, uh, I think we're going to be seeing stories like that more often. No, I 100% agree with you. I think you know the whole Milan thing that we that could be a podcast in itself. I think you know there's so many lingering issues at the club, top to bottom, um, and then until they correct those, I think it'll be more difficult uh, errors for Milan. But um, Janish, I want to transition uh, quickly over to uh, another club that's uh, you know obviously. Uh, is is in a much better position than Milan. It's actually a surprise title contender this year. And, of course, the team I'm talking about is Lazio now. They've beaten Juventus multiple times this season. Chiri Mobile is on his historic record, scoring record. He's on the verge. Again, we'll see how things change with the uh, the break in the season here. If he can you know, beat Gonzalo Higuain's scoring record of 36, set back in 2015-2016, excuse me. But... With, from what you've seen from Lazio, um, and, and it's Simone Inzaghi as a, as a manager in general, because he came into the season, um, you know, having those links to Juventus, and many Juventini were critical as to whether they, whether or not he was the right fit for them. So I just want to get your general general feeling on what you've seen from Lazio, um, you know, the manager, the entire situation, and, and ultimately, can they keep this group intact? Because that's going to be a, a very difficult thing to do when you have some of these bigger clubs lurking. Um, we got for guys like uh, Milikovic Savic, um, Luis Alberto, Joaquin Correa. So just give me your general feeling, I guess, if you will, on, um, on Lazio and their season to date so far. Um, well, when you, first of all, when you talk to Lazio, I mean, in the last three, four, five years, they've, they, they've been on decent runs, right? I mean, right. towards the end of the season is when they fell apart, right? But you knew yeah. something good was happening. To a degree, it was good because they were really always flying under the radar, right? And even though their supporters, I'm sure, had uh, high expectations and they always felt that, oh my goodness, you know, great run and then we fall apart. In general, when you look at other teams, I think they all, there was that feeling, well, Lazio is going to do Lazio towards the end, right? But, you know, when you, when you look at players, um, 
you know that we've just we've just talked about i just i i distinctly remember the year before and a couple of years before talking about walking Korea. i i thought it was wonderful luis Alberto was wonderful right i mean those players just needed a little bit of time right and what chiro immobile chiro immobile has been giving you goals as well but when you have something like this when you have you know 27 goals in 26 games that's a special season that is an unbelievably special and that you know that keeps you going as well and maybe he's kind of taking you over that little bit you know that level that in years past you couldn't you just couldn't keep up with juventus and and napoli right for the most part so i just think that's a you know it's that process you know people talk about progress and process and sometimes we believe in that and sometimes we think it's a it's just coaches speaking but i think that's what's happening here because that team develops, right? When you're a little bit under the radar and you're taking advantage of some shakeups, right? Let's not forget, I mean, you know, Napoli's fell off, Atalanta's got a bigger voice. Juventus continue winning, even though they don't play great. Now Inter comes in and they kind of start taking points away from everybody else. And then you have Lazio with a team like this. So look, and I think it's just a question of different players stepping up as well, right? The season before, mm-hmm. All we talked about was uh, Milinkovic-Savic, right? I mean, he's had a really bad season for the most part. Just recently, he's coming into it, right? We kind of see what we knew about him as well. But I think as the players, uh, you know, like even even Lulic, even though, I mean, he hasn't scored a goal yet, but I think we all know how important he is on Mm -hmm. that team, right? Cherby too. uh, Right, but, you know, there's a number of players. But I'm just saying going Mm -hmm. forward, you know, they are part of the success of Chiro Immobile as well, right? I know that he's obviously scoring a lot of from set pieces, penalties and all that, but I, I think it's just a, I look at Lazio and it's a team. It, it really is a team. I mean, in so many ways, they're like Atalanta. I think they're yes. disrupting Serie A even though it, you know, it's still really, when you think about it, between Juve and Inter, and we'll never know. I don't know where this is going to end because you, we've talked about momentum. And I think you've mentioned to me before the show that, you know, Lazio may be the team that loses the most this season, right? But I think, you know, it's a it's an Atalanta-Lazio situation where I think still in the end, Juventus or Inter, we're going to have it. Lazio, we're probably not going to find themselves mm-hmm. truly contending for the title, if I had to guess. No, I, I think you're. I think you're. I think you're spot on there. You know, there's a lot of parallels to be drawn between, I think, Lazio and Atalanta. Um, obviously, Atalanta with John Piero Gasparini's done a fantastic job with that club. Um, you know, despite losing players every summer, kind of having a system in place where no matter who you plug in, I know they have a great scouting network. Their academy work is fantastic as well. But the fact that they can kind of pick and plug guys into certain holes and have essentially a whole squad not skip a beat. It speaks volumes to how important the system is and just how much clubs like Milan, for instance, are sorely lacking in that department. Um, you know, I think for, you know, getting back to Lazio for a little bit here, I, I think you make a great point, you know, with the fact that, you know, it's easy for everyone to kind of, you know, look at Chiro Mobile, right? Because, you know, he's the guy who could be breaking the scoring record. He's, you know, he's scoring more than certain clubs. Like, I think Milan, I think he actually scored goals in Milan as a team, which is pretty sad to say that. double them. Right. So mm. when you look at, you know, top to bottom, I think you know, Lazio this season have, have answered a lot of critics. I think, you know, you raised a good point about, you know, they've always been a team that's kind of on the rise, but I've always said sort of fallen apart. And, you know, they lost out to top four or fourth place a couple of seasons ago to Inter. Mm-hmm. Right. So they were that right. close to being uh, a Champions League team. And who knows what sort of momentum you can carry with that when you're a Champions League team, the revenue comes with that, the players you can attract, what players you can keep. But overall, I think Lazio are a team that if they can kind of stick to that system that they do have, same thing with Atalanta, I think you'll find themselves uh, well within the thick of things each and every season. Um, and Atalanta, they're the last team I want to talk about for Serie A because I know we have things we want to touch on with the Polish national team and, you know, uh, the you know, U.S. Soccer Federation and so on and so forth. But Atalanta, what strike? What stands out the most with this with this team? I know they're dealing with a, a, a ridiculous amount of of uh, hurt struggle um, in Bergamo right now, um, as much as Italy and most of the entire world. But uh, give me your general feeling, your your overall opinion of 
uh, Gasparini as a manager, what you've seen somewhere that's kind of stood out the most and ultimately what separates him from other managers, Italian managers, and generally speaking, how Atalanta uh, just find ways to, uh, you know, to be such an offensive juggernaut. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, that's just it. I don't think they find, I mean, they're, they're legitimately, and that comes from Gasparini and his way of attacking. And, and, you know, I mean, look at the players. They bleed every year, right? I mean, they lose some key players, and yet they continue to kind of find others. But it's not the idea of finding others. It's, it's convincing them that they can beat everyone. And that's why they're so good, because I truly believe it doesn't matter to them who they play. They right. go out there. And it's, a, it's one of the few, because, I mean, you could say that about Juventus, uh, you could say by Inter, but I, I think they're, the c- cynical is not the word, but I think they, they know, I think they understand the game, the flow of the game sometimes, the opposition. They know that sometimes there are times in the game where you have to slow down and you have to survive. They have that little extra experience and they can win in different competitions in different ways. Atalanta right. only has one way and they understand it. They know who they are. It's knowing your identity and also knowing that at the end of the day, nobody probably says that, but at the end of the day, they probably aren't able to survive every competition consistently all the time, right? They know that's their way. That's what, you know, sometimes you find your niche and you know you're successful, right? And, you know, there's probably, you know, now people know, but there's kind of still not not that expectation that Italian teams are going to play like that. Right. You know, I mean, I don't want to say that they're anti you know, Italian in a way, but they are kind of, aren't they, right? Because the we exception. Do, yeah. Right, they, they, they are an exception. And they, you know, I mean, I, I think Napoli was for a little bit there as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they still are in some way. But the general but, feeling that most, most outsiders have of Calcio, and I think Sam Allardyce uh, said something about this a couple of weeks ago, was that like he said pretty much if Pep Guardiola goes to Juve, it'll change the perception that people have of uh, Calcio, which... It's, it's shifted towards being just a strictly defensive league. I think there's teams that kind of thrive on that, like Verona, for instance. But generally speaking, I don't think it's a defensive, defensive league. You have teams who are willing to score, who can take it to you. You mentioned Napoli and Atalanta are the example. They're one of the highest scoring teams um, in the top five leagues. So, you know, I think you, you make a great point in, 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 in that, you know, they're, they are the exception, but they are trying to change the stigma that some outsiders have of this league as, as a whole. Well, I think that's changed, right? People now get up. Imagine this, and not just now, but in the last few years, even Italian people get upset when you use the word catenaccio. I get that, right? I mean, it's old school. And <laughs> it's a word that's easy to, to throw around for people that aren't Italian or aren't used to that, right? But I think everybody knows that that's changed a little bit. I mean, even if you don't watch the game, you look at the scores, you see what's happening. So the, but, 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 you know, the Italian way of playing football still really hasn't changed when you talk about the top competition, top clubs, because they are very tactical. They are very flexible in a way in how to, because you have to know how to win different games in different competitions. You have to know, and not everybody does, right? Uh, I still think there's, there's tremendous amount of ta- tactics involved, but you can assign that more maybe to the U.S., to the Inters, you know, I mean, even to Milan to a degree, where Atalanta is just different. You know, as I've said, they found that niche. They kind of, you know, they're just going to go at you. They understand the makeup of their team. They understand their manager, how he wants to play. They're very quick in moving the ball. They can possess the ball, but they don't possess for the sake of possessing the ball as well. They have players that are very comfortable in tight spaces. They're comfortable in taking players on. And they're great finishers, you know, and there's a number of them, right? The number of them that can hurt you. Uh, so, So I think that's what Atalanta are. They're just... They, they seem different in this league or in this perception that people have of Serie A. Mm-hmm. And I think that's refreshing, right? Because, I mean, you know, I mean, if you, if you look at them, they, they certainly score, you know, tons of goals. So that tells you something. I mean, you know, 10, 15 years ago, somebody would tell you, you know, at this stage of the season, they'd have 70 goals. You go, you're crazy, right? I mean, they concede 34, which is, an average, you know, I mean, they could have done better. They understand that there's a risk going the other way. And, and look, I mean, they've been the disruptors. And, you know, what happened in the Champions League, let's be honest here. I mean, there's a, there's a large degree of luck, right? If you look at that group stage and, you know, what they had to do and what they continue to do is surprise people. But, but you can do that when you're capable of scoring, when you're capable of putting teams under pressure like they do or any good teams, 
you can have that, right? Because if you're a team like Atalanta, and let's say they were very, very, very good uh, defensive team, well-organized, that just really depended on the organization and maybe not a high-scoring teams, they would have been out by now because at the highest level, you have to have the ability to score. In other words, you have to have the opposition worry about you because if, if, if they don't, then a team like Atalanta would have been out long time ago. But, you know, teams, teams understand that, that this is a team that at any given moment can t- change the aspect of the game. Let's just take, cha- you know, Europe. Or it's Europa League or Champions League, right? I mean, oh, negotiating your way over two legs, it's not necessarily easy. So you look at Atalanta and say, that's a good draw. But then the first thing I say, well, I mean, we have to open ourselves up a little bit. We need goals here because they're very much capable of doing that themselves. And that's, that's hard, right? I mean, I'd much rather play against Atleti, right? I mean, this is not a good example now because they've done a tremendous just against Liverpool. But in so many ways, you know, over two legs, I still want to play against a team that's more defensive than a team that has balance. But, you know, so many different ways of, of punishing you. So who do you think is the best uh, Polish player in Serie A? You kind of answered it already. You, sh- you thought uh, Szczesny was and that Zielinski is a close second. Um, what have you seen in Szczesny over the years? Because we know, we know him originally from Arsenal. That's kind of where his name came, uh, you know, to, to the mainstream, right, of casual mm-hmm. fans. He goes over to Roma and then over to Juve. I mean, it's just kind of a really interesting career arc. What have you seen from him and what makes him the best Polish player in Serie A? Well, I think, you know, first of all, uh, I mean, imagine this. Uh, I mean, imagine coming on the back of Gigi Buffon. I mean, just just think that. For, forget anything else I say, but here's, you know, legend of legends, right? I mean, a player that you can count on all the time. I know it's Juventus, they got good players, but I mean, here's Chansney, who, by the way, you know, still at Roma, even and even Juventus, you know, still capable of some howlers here and there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's just much cleaner. And I think he's made that position his own, even though he knew that at every simple mistake, he's going to be questioned and compared to arguably, you know, one of the best, in, you know, top two, three in the world, right? And Gigi Buffon. It's, it's not easy because, you know, I mean, it's not easy to kind of make yourself undisputed number one where everybody feels safe. All the players in front of you know that in behind, my goodness, we lost a legend who carried us for so many years. When I say carried us, of course, you didn't have to worry about what's going on in goal. And now Stansen. So uh, that's why for me, he's the best. I mean, yeah, he's playing on the best team. Uh, uh, you know, in Serie A, but uh, I mean, that's just incredible. The position that, that the, the way he's established himself after somebody like Gigi Buffon. Jelinski has been good and, you know, and, and, you know, any other year I could say maybe him, but Chesney hands down, not even a question. And I think, I think the thing with Chesney too, that fascinates me is that, you know, to your point, it's it's very difficult to step into that role after Buffon and what he was able to accomplish with the club. But I also think, you know, when you look at the um, the emphasis that we place on goalkeepers who can do more than just make the miraculous save, you know, the footwork, the distribution, and, and the premium that clubs are paying for those sorts of qualities. And you're looking at what Chelsea paid out for Kepa, and this guy is he's committing an errors, which seems like every other week. And then you have De Gea, who was considered and crowned for the longest time as wanting being uh, a top two, maybe number one goalkeeper in the world. So the fact that Juventus were able to essentially get their Buffon replacement at a moderate fee, I think it was somewhere mm-hmm. between 10 to 15 million euro um, from a domestic purchase. You know, for obviously, we you know he came from Roma. I think that was a slam dunk transaction. And then they obviously you rewarded him with a contract extension. Um, and, and I always found that kind of fascinating too, right? Because, you know, for how good he's been, there's always been some sort of rumblings that Gigi Donnarumma or Mino Raiola will try to bring him to Juve. He'll never be a backup at this point. Donnarumma's starter for Italy. He's making 6 million euro per year at Milan. He's their highest paid player. So I just kind of think that was kind of quelled with the the contract renewal for Wojciechowski, and he's very much deserve it. And you know you, what you mentioned with Zelensky, I think this year has been a little bit of a difficult year for him, in my opinion, from what I've seen. I just think that you know when you go from Ancelotti to Gattuso, they obviously haven't had the greatest of starts, and he seems to me that Zelensky's always 
kind of moving around a little bit too frequently in terms of where he's deployed. I don't know if you want to maybe you touch on that as well, what you find from what, you, from what you've watched with Napoli and really uh, how, how that compares to his role with the national team. But I just find that I think there's so much more goal output in Zelensky that we haven't quite seen yet. And that was actually going to be a question I was going to ask, for, uh, ask you um, about, Janusz, was, you know, what do you think his ceiling is as a player? Because I think there's a lot of polls that are, who feel that he's got a lot more in him but they're maybe mm. not quite seeing yet. And they're wondering if maybe he should be, um, you know, seeking an, a move elsewhere to a team like Liverpool. I know he was linked to them, you know, quite a bit um, off the season they had last year, but I, I, I guess, I guess just maybe, you know, as a follow up, what do you, what do you see as um, Zelensky's ceiling? Well, I think you've heard my feelings about him. I think he's still, in terms of the capacity of, you know, at, at the highest rate of work, I still think sometimes he's a 70, 75-minute player. You know, at Napoli, as you know, sometimes plays inside, sometimes plays outside. You know, that's a, that's a big ask to, for him to, to do what he does best going forward and then to recover, which is very important in Italy, in Serie A, or anywhere really for that matter, right? So if he's playing on the inside with the three in the midfield, very often he's, you know, he drifts outside, opens up that space, and he's really got to come back and help defensively. And I still, I think it's been better in the last few games. I've noticed that, and I've noticed that with Poland as well. But I still think, you know, that he's, he's like that 65, 70-minute player full tilt and I think when he mm-hmm. becomes a little bit more of that the 90 minute player 80 85 minute player where he's at his best and the levels don't drop off uh, I think you're going to see even more of that I still think that he's better central he could be behind you know the strikers he often plays that for Poland uh, I don't think he's a wide player I think he can play there and we've seen him play right. there but I just think that you know at the highest level you, you're asking him to do stuff that I don't think he's comfortable. And, you know, that's not his thing, you know? So, so I think that I, I, I've been somewhat, when I say critical, I mean, I like, he's got so many good things. Uh, my critic, you know, it's, it's maybe that he's, they haven't found the best position for him for club or country. That's not necessarily down to him. It's maybe mm-hmm. both Poland and Napoli are, just haven't found the players that can allow him to kind of that little extra freedom, if you know what I mean. No, no, I, I 100%, you know, agree, agree with you there. And I think there's, uh, I, in many ways, I think I always found it, you know, kind of, I always been dumbfounded about, about how certain managers and certain clubs in general um, don't allow or don't put their best or top players in positions to be their best version of themselves. I think we talk about it so much with Paul Pogba at Manchester United, how he's kind of been mishandled, misused in certain areas. And when you spend that much money on a player, you assume that you're going to kind of tailor your, your formation, your philosophy, your idea of playing to accommodate one of your top players or your, your top player. So I, I think that's very, very true. I think, you know, he's a player that will thrive more centrally. I think he needs to be closer to goal where he can get on the ball a little bit. He can mm-hmm. be that kind of that connector uh, between midfield and the striker. And I think we've seen it in, in glimpses with the national team and sometimes with Napoli as well. But I, I think you, you, you made a great point that he is a player that can play out wide, but I don't think it's ideal to get the most out of it. He's got he's to get closer. Just, just for comparison, in terms of a little bit of his stamina, his range of play and the ability, he's got to be closer to what Fabian Ruiz is. Think about it. Fabian Ruiz, I mean, they're not very different. They both like to go forward. They both like to get involved in the attack, score, distribute, right? But, but if you look at uh, 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 Fabian Ruiz, he, he's got that little extra bite, doesn't he? No, he, 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 absolutely, he absolutely does. I, I think, you know, you, you, you nailed it there, Yanish, for sure. Um, Phil, um, Phil, Martino, excuse me, we got a, we got a, we got a question from yes. one of our followers, a friend of mine, uh, Phil. Martini, you want to roll with that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was another one that you answered on Twitter. Um, and this, this comes with the uncharted, unprecedented territories that we're coming across, right, with this whole coronavirus crisis and all these leagues being suspended. Um, and the question was, do you think Serie A should, be, uh, should return at this point in time considering the timing issues, the emotional issues? And your initial answer was no. Do you kind of want to just elaborate uh, on that a little bit more as, as to why? Is it, is it a timing thing to get preparation for next season and, and 
and like, you know, ramping up in the training because now this is a long layoff. And, and a lot of fans who don't know, football has a relatively short off season. So, I mean, they're kind of used to ramping up um, over a few weeks. I know Premier League is because they start in early, mid-August. Mm-hmm. Um, but now when you're looking at this, we're thinking maybe mid-April, say, if that were to happen. I mean, I mean, what do you, what do you think should happen? And, and if the league doesn't return, how should they reward teams in terms of relegation mm-hmm. and who goes to Champions League, et cetera? Look, uh, I mean, we, we have to look at the worst case scenario, right? I mean, we have to, because we don't know, uh-huh. so we have to look at it. You know, and I've said this, and this is not just about Serie A. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, what I've said, different, you know, whatever programs I've been, and even, even on Twitter. I think they should end the league right now, award the championships, uh, the championship, award the European places, and have no relegation. Look, there's, there's no scenario where you're going to make mm-hmm. somebody happy. And I know Serie B teams and, you know, Premier League, we all know how much money is involved. But you can't, you know, if the worst case scenario comes in, because at the end of the day, there's two things that I think about. Is that, you know, obviously the schedule, if you end it now, it's unbalanced. Some teams haven't played against each other. Some played against tougher teams. Others didn't. But sure, it is what it is. The responsibility, you know, and people will say, and you've told me, well, look at Lazio, the momentum they've had, or, or let's say Manchester United. Look at, look, mm-hmm. look at the way Manchester United have been now come. I mean, just incredible, right? Yeah. There's other teams like that. But you as a team, I don't care for that because you have a responsibility to be good the entire season. <laughs> you, know, I'm a, you know, just because you, you started badly and now you're coming good, yeah. why should I reward you for that? Obviously, teams didn't know it was going to happen, but you never know what's going to happen in life. And you have to have a good and balanced season throughout. That's, that's the nature of the beast. So wherever that falls, it falls. And, and you can't take it away from those teams, right? I mean, look, I can look at Juve, right? You can look at it both ways. Because Inter, my goodness, what a season, right? I mean, under Conte and all this and all that. Juve haven't been great, but they've just been good enough. And when it mattered they showed Inter where they stand in the pecking order in both games. Yeah. They went to San Siro at the time where, where Inter were hot and Juve weren't, and they destroyed them there. Let's be honest. That was a yeah. lesson. That yeah. was a lesson talk. Now the last game as well, they won that. No questions asked. Atalanta's been good. Whatever the top four right now is, I have zero issue. Now, you know, I wouldn't relegate these teams because you have to make a decision somewhere. So I will keep it because there's talk about, you know, Bundesliga, so yeah, I've been talking, well, even Premier League's been talking, let's, you know, let's uh, mm-hmm. promote the teams one. and then the next season we're going to relegate four or five. That seems crazy. No, and that means more games. If you, if you allow more teams come in and not relegate others, that means more, more games. Bottom line is, look, guys, even if you tell me a month from now that, you know, it's gotten better around the world, everything's good, don't forget, all it's going to take is one person getting sick and let's just say in Serie A doesn't even have to be a player it could be just yeah. a worker for a club and we're off again and that's what's going to happen right so one person somewhere out there within the country within the league when the, the team gets sick when we think everything everything's already okay and it's off let's end the season because the second reason is now is that yes we're enjoying this time off but think about what's going to happen next season you're going to have to do a lot of catching up. There, you know, Euros were postponed. World Cup qualifying stars. This Nation League, I don't know what they're going to do. Champions League. There's actually going to be even more football next season because you're going to be catching up and, and other competitions have been postponed. And I don't know how they're going to solve it, but it seems to me that next year we're going to be playing every two or three days. Yeah. And, and players are going to be going to the national team perhaps more often. Uh-huh. And, and then there's Qatar looming as well in, in November Correct. 2022. So it's Correct. even a shortened season. Um, yeah, I you mean, there is a ton of games. There's, there should be no season. Season should be over. Now, we can argue between each other how to finish it, what to do, but I just don't see how this season finishes. I just don't. Well, I just don't, so I just don't think – I just don't see how right now – I mean, I understand that – pretty much you can make a point. There are some people that can make a point and say, well, hey, there's no Euro, there's no Copa America. So you pretty much have that clearance, right? Because everyone was kind of, you know, looking to that magical date of saying, well, it would have to finish before then because you can't expect to backdate, backdraft all these games and then have 
you are essentially a week off in between the final uh, the final week of the season for some of these these leagues, and then have them kind of go fly around for the European European competition. That's just not feasible. That just doesn't make sense, and it's frankly not going to be uh, the best thing for the players who are going to have to have that quick turnaround. So, I mean, I, this is something I was thinking of myself: is that it, you know, let's say for example, they get into the position where end of April or whatever, like mid-April or whatever the case may be, or first week of May, they can restart. Maybe you have a cutoff date of saying, hey, like this is when the season was supposed to end. We could fit in three games. We're going to play three more games. At the end of those three games where everyone finishes, that's where it is. But I just don't see how this is feasible because unlike MLS, that which happened at the beginning of the season, and their season typically kind of drifts into – October, November anyway, they're in a little bit of a different situation. So I just don't see it to your Look, point, Yannick, how, it, how it's going to work. My, my point is, let's forget the rest of the world, right? But, but let's just think of Italy. We see what's happening there. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, it, it's great. Are you even telling me that people are ready and people are even thinking? You know, no. I know fans are fans. Uh, you know, Serie A is even in a different position than any other league in the world because we see what's happening there. I mean, is it even right in a way? I know that, that sport can be, can be the great equalizer and can be something that people rally around, and I understand that. I get that. But I just think what's happening in Italy right now, to force feed this mm-hmm. and to kind of explain to people, say, in April, which I think is impossible with what's happening. It's not going to happen. Right, or it's May, not. and then you get into June. And even say you can, you, know, you say, well, June we could start and we can play through the summer. The bigger question, I think, for me would almost be, I mean, you almost have to make a, a moral decision if, if, if that's something that – it's going to come across like what? I mean, I don't want to say greed, but I mean, do we bring everybody and just say, hey, everything that's happened right now, the number of people that got sick, the number of deaths that continues to go up, I just think that it's more of a, you know, Serie A. When what they feels get together, right, say, right. What's the right thing to yeah, do? Yeah, I mean, do we even, yeah. I mean, do we even, should we even think about that right now? And this yeah. is maybe more towards Serie A because that's where you asked me. Because maybe elsewhere situations is a little bit different, a little bit easier. But I think we have to be careful in how, how hard and how loud we're asking for Serie A to just get back to business as if nothing happened. Yeah, and, and just one real thing before we wrap up on this topic, just even if you want to go to the financial side of it, are you you can't even have fans at these games. You can't if you were to yeah. open this stadium, what do you like San Siro, yeah. for example, that's eighty thousand people. You can't have eighty thousand people there in the stadium. Say it sells out like that. That's just irresponsible. That's not a smart idea. Because over here they're know, telling us don't know. even you know it. You know it would. The, the moment the gates are open and they're saying we're playing games, the fans they shouldn't are allowed, have. They shouldn't do anything till August. And even uh, then, I don't even know. Do it. Yeah, uh, fans in there. And, and and normally, I would say hundred percent yes, but that's even questionable. Even if you open it, I don't know if you're going to have eighty thousand people at the Sun Zero. I don't know if people are going to be ready. You know, the curvas. Uh, you know, maybe come in, but. I think we have to rethink sometimes and reassess what the reaction of, of fans around the world may be. And it's going to be different from place to place. But I think this is, this is going to change things. And, you know, let's not forget right. the economy of, of fans as well, right? No work, mm-hmm. no jobs. Every, you know, are people are going to be willingly just coming back and spending whatever the amount of money there is to spend? Uh, I, uh, no, I don't Maybe think you so. guys are optimistic to say that if it opens, there's going to be, you know, 50,000 people there. 70,000 sure. people I'm not I'm not so sure that it's going to happen and I'm not so sure that the club should ask the fans to do that yeah no I'd say it's a really difficult unprecedented situation um so is there anything else that we wanted to get because because they were just a couple of Milan questions that we had that we probably don't want to harp on too much and and on that topic, because as you said at the beginning of, of the podcast, they they really don't deserve as much airtime as they've been getting because they've just been an abject disaster. But how about this for a question? Because I was discussing this with Matt yesterday, too. As one of the topics, um, it would kind of be off the top of your head, but we were talking about kind of how Lazio would be one of those teams that wouldn't benefit in Serie A. What types of teams actually benefit for the Euros not taking place this season? Because – 
I know Holland wasn't really going to have a fully healthy Memphis Depay. Uh, England had their issues with Harry Kane. We know Italy, uh, Giorgio Chiellini wasn't going to be 100%. Zaniolo, another one. Zaniolo as well. Yeah, I mean, Lewandowski. Demerol. You know, with, with, with Demerol. Yeah, Kabak, I believe, was injured as well. There's just mm-hmm. a lot of countries lot that of suffering from injuries like that. Yeah, um, you know, England, obviously, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many uh, injuries to Kane and, and, you know, Rashford and all that. But I, I think big clubs always find a way. You know what I mean? They, because right, they, sure. they're good players playing on great teams. Uh, I think maybe to a degree, uh, uh, smaller countries may, may benefit uh, 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 more. Not to obviously win, but maybe maybe play a significant role because it allows them more time to bring up some of the young players, right? Sure. Because, you know, when you're yeah. a smaller country, you know, say like, you know, you have a couple of studs and then the rest may still be integrating into the team. Poland's bringing a couple of young players, right? So, so I think the smaller countries uh, may benefit. I also think that, for example, you know, and, and you know, I'm going to mention Poland again here, is that if you look at Poland and some of the, and there's some other countries like that, by the way, when you see them qualifying for the European Championship of the World Cup, they, they're one of the first ones to qualify, right? But we often forget mm-hmm. when you qualify, then you wait six months for the actual competition. Sure. All mm-hmm. the momentum that you have is lost. Yeah. And it's almost a totally to different Cup. team. Right? It's happened in Euros, happened in the World Cup. You know, it, it happens and almost have, everywhere. And they had severe injuries to several, like, young players who were supposed right, to be kind I, of on the rise. True. But, yeah. I don't even want to make it about Poland. You know what I mean? My point is that sometimes, maybe, because I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but it's almost going to be, who knows? There's going to be more chances, right? I mean, now now the, the, the World Cup qualifying is going to start, and, and maybe, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with the Nations League and all that, but it may actually be, you maybe have some more opportunities now to kind of, get yourself going towards the towards the European Championship with some, you know, like important, com- right? I mean, you, yeah. because if you're going to be qualifying for the World Cup, you're going to have key games rather than just friendlies and all of that that you would have had now. So, but but at the end of the day... I believe the they still need to finish a couple of spots as well. Correct. I think there's a, there's teams Correct. that need to get those get final playoffs. spots. Yep. Yeah, that yep. were supposed... Yep. I think they were supposed to take place within the next week or so. I think it was in March. So, I mean, you're... I mean, think about the teams that had the momentum in that, too. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just absolutely insane um, for that to happen. So that's, that's for another pod. But, but yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, 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 but I have something, you know, you know, I started this little YouTube channel that, uh, yes, go ahead. Um, you know, and, and I, one of my ideas, nobody's listening to it, by the way, yet, but <laughs> maybe. Well, this is why you but, do the podcast. So that you but but my idea, my thinking is that when I look at some of the big clubs or some of the big leagues, I mean, I think with all the amount of football that may be played, if it all, when it all starts, I think when the transfer window opens, you ought to be careful, I think, how many international players you have and how many you sign. Because there's going to be a lot of times where they, you know, they're going to be playing a lot more football, right? So, yeah. I mean, and not only that, but teams will suffer economically because of the stoppage right now. And I wonder if some of the big clubs would be wise to to, because they'll be forced, I think, to spend less money to get some of their academies, some of the young kids. Something that Chelsea mm-hmm. did because mm-hmm. they were forced to it, right? Yeah. And it's kind of paying dividends. But when you look at some of the big clubs and their tendency of signing other African players, right? I mean, African Cup of Nations, you know, that's something, you know, the championships were postponed, right? And you're talking about Copa America. So now you have to squeeze all these big competition. And so some of your top players, international players, are going to be so busy that, you know, when they come back to clubs, you got to be careful, more so than in years past. So I wonder if there's going to be a trend of, of maybe giving some youngsters, you know, say in Serie A, some younger Italian players, more of them get an opportunity to play, actually, even with some bigger clubs. Yeah, well, hopefully we do. I know Jurgen Klopp's going to use, lose his mind because he was already fed up with all the amount of games that they were playing um, in that December stretch. Um, but you mentioned your YouTube channel. We want to allow you to just plug all your work because you do so much. Um, and it's, it's always great. I love listening to you. When they have you on ESPN FC, I think they should have you on more, to be quite frank. I'm not just trying to you know, piss up <laughs> to you right here. Um, they need to change it up a little bit. But go ahead, just plug uh, your YouTube channel. Your Twitter. Yeah, look, 
I mean, you know, ESPN is my work and I do the games. Yeah. And I'm, it'd be nice to be more on these shows, but you know, some people do shows, some people do games. It is what it is, but you know, th this is, this is my side project. Maybe because as you can tell, I like to talk and I'm bored. <laughs> so I started this YouTube channel on the Janusz Mahalik just to, just to stay in the game. Uh, you know, it's not something that, uh, uh, you know, it's this, this project that is going to make me or break me, but Hey, you can, you can go to YouTube and see Janusz Mahalik and, uh, you know, once daily uh, or, or every other day, I, I, you know, whatever is on my mind, I, I try to share with people and if they like it. It's great. If not, you know, they can make comments out, out there. And, uh, I certainly don't know everything about the game. So I, I, I gladly listen to, to, to comments uh, when they come in. Uh, other than that, it's, uh, you know, hopefully we're back to normal. I'm back at ESPN and Sirius yeah. radio and, and, and on great podcasts uh, like yours as well. So, um, uh, we'll be fine. But right now we can rest up and from time to time have a chat like this. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on and, and joining us here to discuss it. for now. Yeah, we really, really appreciate it. And we're glad we could get all the information. You were, you were the, you were the first, you were the first person we reached out to. And then I got a quick response and I was a, a bit surprised because I, I didn't expect who would be around, who would be you know, focusing on football at this time. But I'm glad you, uh, you responded quickly. You got back to us and we were able to have you on to have a good conversation here. No, I, I did because of border, but but I, I, I will tell you very quickly and last thing that, that I, you know, I sometimes feel guilty. I sometimes wonder, should we be talking about football now? You know, there's something, <laughs> yeah. you know, because, yeah, you have to be conscious and, and understand what uh, people are going through around the world. So uh, hopefully people understand that uh, we love the game and we also appreciate and respect uh, uh, everything that's going on right now. Yeah. All right. We just want to plug Matt's Twitter and work really quickly before we leave. Matt, tell the good people on where they can find you and your work. Of course, it's Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Uh, and, uh, you know, with the football halt here, content has been a little <laughs> bit slim, but, you know, I'll be ramping it up as, as soon as football comes back. But you may see some occasional one-off pieces uh, on my Medium account. I'm trying to relaunch that. So uh, make sure you guys are following me on Twitter. I'll share all the updates there. And Martino, you want to? Plug your stuff and sign yeah, up. yeah, you could uh, just follow me at Martino Puccio on Twitter as well. I talk about all types of stuff. I'm probably one of the few people that loves all types of football and then all the American sports as well. So thank you once again, Janish, for coming on with us for the revamping of the State of Play pod. Matt, again, as always, always great talking to you. Everyone else, listen to Joaquin.